This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. Back at it once again. It's your boy, Andrew Clyden, with the Door County Pulse podcast. Uh, we got some cool stuff to talk about today. Oh, cool for cool. One one thing is cool. The other yeah. thing is challenging. Uh we're gonna. I'm gonna intro the whole podcast here, and then people can decide if they want to keep listening. So, uh, I want to talk about Gibraltar's historic run to state uh, Gibraltar basketball, uh, and then Ooh. we're gonna talk about the Egg Harbor Campground and the fiasco that's going on over there. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's celebrate first. Uh, we'll talk about Why Gibraltar. Yeah. Uh, Gibraltar went to state. It was the first time a historic uh, time because it's the first time that they've gone to state since their their monumental run going to state every year while you coached, right? <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, no, uh, first time ever. Um, I was not able to guide a Gibraltar team to state. No, that's not um, what you were telling people last week. <laughs> right. You're like back when they were called the Gibraltar Danhausen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about uh, tell me about their state run. You got to go and see the game, and that was pretty cool. Uh, walk me through the the run up to their state championship run. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was just like such a cool experience to see a Gibraltar team on the court at the Kohl Center down in Madison and just see what, just like the excitement amongst parents, business owners, people in town talking about it. It's never happened. I mean, there's only two Door County boys basketball teams have ever made it to state since I think 1940. There were some, there were three Sturgeon Bay teams that made it in like the late 20s and in the 1930s. Uh, I would argue that basketball was a much different game at that time. But in the what Chad Michaels, the WDOR um, sports caster, said, goes in the modern era. It's Southern Door in 1999 when they had this phenomenal team in Division Three, and it's now Gibraltar in Division Five, the smallest division in the state. Um, but you know, Gibraltar's had a lot of lean years in sports in general, and especially in basketball at different times. So it, it was just a, such a cool journey to to see the community go through and all these parents and and the and the district and you know it's my it's my old school so i spent 13 years of my life in that building as a as a student and then more as a coach so. right we put together a special section kind of about the the history and the current team and that kind of stuff and turned out really cool definitely like a little collector's item if you want to pull that out and keep it uh Talk about some of the the cool facts and historic tidbits that you were able to pull together for that. Yeah, I you know I wanted to do something. Kids today, it's different than it used to be, where the high school sports used to be all over the local paper. So grandma could cut a picture of you out and put it up on the wall, and you could hold on to something and look back on it years down the road. And we don't have that anymore. And I I, I don't mean to cast aspersions, but the Door County Advocate isn't what it once was. When I was in high school, they covered every game. They had a reporter. Corey Malian did an amazing job at it. And, they, you know, they had a team of photographers and reporters covering the county's sports and particularly high school sports scene. doesn't exist anymore. And we don't do it. We've never been able to find a way to, to have a full-time sports reporter, but we've always tried to find ways to give that some coverage as much as we can. And, you know, for one of these historic moments like this, it just I just thought, like, it's, it sucks <laughs> that these kids – don't have anything to like look at and show that the community is proud of them and that they that they're recognized. So 
we went out of our way a little bit. We got a lot of great community support sponsors who stepped in to, to help us put something together so that those kids saw that and that community saw it and the school saw it. And, uh, you know, it's just trying to do that. We can't do it week to week. We've never been able to justify that. Hey, if anybody wants to sponsor a sports section, I'll go find a reporter. But um, it's it's nice to be able to do something like that once in a while. So it, it, we had some uh, information about the – there was a 1969 team um, from Gibraltar that went undefeated during the regular season back when they didn't have different divisions. So they everyone competed against this for one state tournament. Um so Gibraltar had to play the bigger schools, and they lost to Sturgeon Bay, which at that time was three or four times the size of Gibraltar, and they just barely lost to them in the first round of the playoffs. But that team had gone undefeated during the regular season. They had a great player named Dave Voskel, who apparently would shoot from half court and back before they had a three-pointer, but is still one of the all-time leading scorers in the area and still kind of a legend. So we were able to talk a little bit about teams of the past in there, but also do a lot of stuff on this year's team with the player of the year, Sam Lindenberg. Uh, Justin Burris is coach, was coaching his last season after doing it for seven years. And as a coach who did it for four, I know what a commi- commitment that is and, and how much time it takes and what a toll it takes. So um, kudos to Justin for the amazing job he did with that team. And kudos to the players. I mean, so you talked about taking us through that journey, that run. Um, this is a team that started had a lot of tough losses early on. I think they started like one and seven in conference play and they went seven and one down the stretch and won 14 in their last 16 games. And part of that was they have a, for a small school, they have a six, seven kid and a seven foot kid. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say, what's the secret? Is it the seven foot giant child that (laughs) can walk up to the hoop and dunk it without jumping? Well, and he basically can do that. um, But he's never played. He only played one year of high school basketball. The first half of the season, just didn't, they weren't gelling, things weren't connecting. And as they all got more experience and got experience playing together, he started playing a lot better. They were led by Sam Lindenberg, who became, the, I think he is the first Gibraltar player to win Packerland Player of the Year as a boys basketball player. Uh, he had an amazing season, um, scored more than 20 points per game throughout the entire run. But they really started to gel at midseason. Part of that is having some seniors playing their last year, recognizing, hey, we got to get this. we got to figure this out. We don't get another crack at this. And part of it, I think, was when Justin Burris told them he was this was his last year, it kind of gave them a sense of finality and a sense of urgency, maybe, is what some of the players said. And they just said, you know, I talked to Will Friedenfels, who's a, another 6'7 player who played really great for them in the sectional uh, championship game. You know, he was probably, I would say, like the key player down the stretch in that game for them. And... They just came together. You know, it's one of those great things when I've been there coaching when it doesn't happen. I've been there when it does happen. But when a group of seniors kind of gels and really takes takes the advantage of their moment, it usually happens about midseason where they either put up or shut up. And sometimes they shut up. Sometimes they, they just don't do it. And this team obviously did it and got really hot at the right time and went down the stretch. And, you know, I throughout I was like, well, that, that'd be great if they win a regional final. That'd be amazing. And then it was, well, maybe they can win one sectional game. And then they were in the sectional final. And, you know, there was an experienced team in Columbus Catholic that they were playing that as a coach and as a former player, you are used to Gibraltar faltering in those moments. And this team didn't. They stayed calm and poised. And it's a credit to the coach. It's a credit to those kids more than anything. So it's really cool to watch. And just to see the joy on those kids' faces, like almost shock of, hey, we are going to state. It's pretty amazing. 
Yeah. What was the name of the seven foot tall guy? Trevor Ash. Trevor was on the cover of the Pulse last week. Yeah. And you would swear that I photoshopped him to look like the end of Space Jam, where <laughs> Michael Jordan's arm stretches across the whole court because yeah. he. I am shocked that he's only played one year of basketball yeah. because he he's definitely the right fit for it. Yeah, he is a, a tall, lengthy, just. Covers a lot of ground with his arms, and he's he's had some phenomenal dunks. He had a, a really nice dunk in the state uh, tournament. Um, Gibraltar, you know, they faced a, a tough matchup playing against Randolph in the state tournament. Randolph has now, they went on to win the state title. They've won 11 state titles, the most of any school. They're this small school in uh, a little north of Madison that, Apparently, just breeds huge, tall yeah. Dutch farm boys. Growth hormones in the water. Yeah, a lot of that. <laughs> right, that makes sense. Like, and, but the thing is, you know, going to state is such a cool thing that it doesn't matter how well you do at state. You made it there. That's the thing to celebrate. Like everything else is gravy at that point. If they if they had won a couple games at state, that would have been just icing on top of getting there. So yeah. it it wasn't a disappointment that they didn't make it any further. It was just you know what a cool thing to be able to play there at all. Exactly. And I think even going into the game, you know, you, you always try and find a way you're like, all right, I, I believe we can win this game. I believe Gibraltar could pull this off. And there, you know, there's a, a scenario in which that happens, but Randolph is a really tough matchup. They were the number one seed. Like I said, they've won so many times they're experienced down there, but, and they had some great player. They, their, their guard actually broke the all time division five state scoring record. He scored 41 points. He, shot the lights out they also had a guy who i think my entire body would fit into his quads he just had the most massive tree trunk legs he's going to play football at madison um travis alvin he was just a mammoth of a human being um and seeing that courtside was pretty stunning right and i guess if you're going to lose to anybody lose to the people who win the whole thing true exactly. and yeah. they beat the next team by 20 points as well so they were obviously the best team in that in that division but you know for for the team to be spending time in the Cole Center and to be on that floor, that's a pretty rare experience, and they earned it. They got there, uh, gave the whole community a ride there. I think there were somewhere around 700 or more Gibraltar and Northern Door fans who made the trek down to Madison. Uh, there. It was it was a huge community event. There were places that were closed to go down to state, like yeah. businesses. Some uh, were closed. Some opened early to watch the game. <laughs> right, yeah. I went to pick up a sandwich at Bailey's 57, and there was a sign that said, hey, we're at state. It was like, <laughs> it was. you could tell that the whole community came together. I saw photos of people lining up to send them off on the bus. It was really cool to see kind of everybody come together and celebrate it. And, and people have to understand, Gibraltar, for the longest time, played in a conference where every school except Sevastopol was at least twice as big, if not three to four times as big as Gibraltar High School. So that was what it was growing up when when I went to school there. And there were stretches where they lost every game for multiple years in a row. I played on a football team that lost every game for 10 years. And when I was a junior, we finally won a game, and it was massive news. It was like the front page of the advocate and everything. One game. <laughs> like Some people have to win a state championship to get covered like that. It was a big deal that we won once. And that takes a toll on a on a community. Like we we it was a great academic school, uh, great theater school, great art school, but we were terrible athletics. And pride wise, that really does you just start to look at yourself as as the school that is just perpetually bad at that. And some of that conference changing and and not, and schools getting smaller and kind of coming back to the pack has helped with that. But also the school finally started to pay a little bit of attention to that stuff, and it does it helps with school pride. Like I went to a school where nobody you would rarely see someone wear Gibraltar colors or a Gibraltar shirt. 
in the community. You just didn't have that sort of pride. And that has changed. And I, I hope these kids know that they're part of showing, you know, what was really cool is to see a lot of, as a former coach, to see a lot of like second, third, fourth graders there going to that game, coming out on the court, giving those kids high five, asking them for autographs, you know, and you know, like those kids now see themselves as like, oh, I can do something good in sports, you know, and that's modeling is important in anything. It's like, if you see a school, the one thing we, we always had at Gibraltar is like they invested in the auditorium, you know, they, they people went out and raised money, raised $3 million and built an auditorium. So that told you that, oh, theater is important. Theater matters. Performing arts matter. And we, you would take pride in that because the community showed you that it mattered. They showed you that they cared about it. And that same thing happens here for those younger kids who happen to be athletes. And you, you need that in any realm. You need someone to say like, this can be done. Yeah, I know that they, they went up against a really tough team, but I also heard that the Cole Center is 10 feet longer than they're used to. Is that? Yeah. So if, if all things had been the same, they probably would have won the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what I would say, yeah. Yeah, it was they were coming up 10 feet short on everything, <laughs> yeah. and it was like, oh. It is a strange quirk of state tournament basketball in that you play the entire season on an 84-foot court that's usually played in small gyms where there's a wall right behind the backboard, so it there's like this depth perception thing that happens. So you suddenly go in and you play in this 20,000 seat arena, which is amazing. It's really cool to have that experience, but you don't get a walkthrough on the court. You don't get to shoot around on the court until warm-ups start. So those players, for the first time, they get to go on the court 20 minutes before the state championship game, and that is the first time they get to shoot on that basket with that background, with that size court. They don't get to run up and down the court, full court, a couple times to see, like, how does this play? They just, you go. And there aren't any courts that big within an hour and a half of Fish Creek, Wisconsin. So you, there's not like some weird, oh, we'll just go and practice at this other, other gym. So then they go down there and they play on a 94-foot court. That's 10 feet either way. Kind of really changes what you can do with a, with a team you've coached one way the whole year. And that'd be like going to you know football, high school football. You play on 100 yards and you go to state and they just add 20 yards to the field. It just it's a strange thing that only applies as far as I know it only applies to high school basketball yeah or if you're a theater person it's like you know doing all of your performances on your school stage and then going to a bigger competition and being in a big amphitheater yeah it changes things that you wouldn't expect it to change if yeah. you've got a bigger playing area then your blocking changes otherwise everything's smashed to the middle you have to project more sure so it it's similar in that way where it's like if you don't know the venue that you're going to be in, if it's different, it can change things and throw you off. You wouldn't think five feet in either direction is a big deal, but it can well, be. I wasn't sure. a great shooter no matter what, but when I played in a camp at Madison and this back and they had the, the old field house, first time I stepped foot on that bigger court, it was, I mean, I, I was terrible. And most of the guys in the camp were terrible. Like nobody could shoot. It's just like such a, a different experience. So I thought they would at least have some sort of shoot around time or walk through time, but kind of quirky thing about WIAA basketball. Right. Let's take a break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the uh, Egg Harbor campground and what's been going on over there. I know that you've been covering it for a while and we'll kind of give people the scoop. Sure. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. 
Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Okay, we are back. So what happened over at the Egg Harbor campground? I, I heard that people were a little upset. It's a mess, Andrew. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's a mess. I, my family, you know, I grew up camping with my family and campers and oh, doing yeah. seasonal and all of that kind of stuff. So I, as I was hearing this, I was like, oh, wow, that would be, that would be quite a, a challenge to come up against, especially. So you if, went to like, you, you went to RV parks and yes. you, your parents did the whole seasonal thing? Yes. Okay. So when I was very young, we got a camper and we would tour to different campgrounds every weekend. And then after maybe two or three years of that, my parents got a seasonal in a place that I really, really loved and had a lot of friends and there were a lot of young people. And then after like two years of that, they moved to a seasonal where there were no kids at all. And I hated that. <laughs> and that's when I stopped camping. Uh, but uh, like maybe five or six years of my youth were spent almost every weekend in the summer going up to different campgrounds and hanging out in camp. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so to lay the groundwork here, Egg Harbor Campground, is they were purchased in December of last year by an investment firm out of Boston. And that investment firm is not going to be on site. They hired a management firm, but that management firm is out of Florida, Advanced Outdoor Solutions. They manage campground facilities, reservations, things like that for this company all over the country. And I guess to put it in context kind of using your family as an example, let's say your parents were retired because a lot of the people in RV parks are um, retirees. Uh, so, and there are some with families, but predominantly it ends up being yeah, retirees. And to, to take it back one step further than that. So like you can take your camper or your RV to a campgrounds and park it there for a weekend or a week or whatever. And then you leave and then you either come back the next weekend or you go to a different one. Or if you're seasonal, then you bring it up at the beginning of the season, hook it up and it sits there the whole season until the winter comes and you take it back. So you pay a different rate than you would like weekend to weekend, I would assume. Right. And it just means that you have your camper that sits there. And there are many places where if you have a seasonal, some people will build like a deck around their camper or, you know, really make the outside area around it, the whole site kind of their own because they're going to be there year after year and it, they can do that. Right. Yeah. Maybe they, they sign a multi-year contract and then they can build whatever they want there for that time being. And many of them just leave their RV or their camper there for years because you can leave it over the winter at most of these places. Right. So if you if you find a place that you really love, like let's say you don't live in Door County and you want to come up here and you want to you know that you want to camp in the same campground up here all the time. A seasonal makes a lot of sense because you can just leave it up here and not have to trek it every weekend. So that's the situation that we're looking at. Right. Yeah. We're talking. And. It, it affects those weekend people, but primarily where I got alerted to this was uh, some of this, these campers, Tim Trankle being one of them, emailed and said, hey, we have new owners, but we haven't heard from them yet. Do you want to look into this and find out anything? And did some cursory checking around, but then I get an email later. He goes, I found out who they are. I'm worried. This is this investment firm out of Boston. I tried to contact that firm out of Boston, find out, like, hey, what do you plan to do with this campground? You know, assuming maybe it's nothing, maybe they just bought it and they're going to hire a manager, maybe somebody who lives here, who knows. But they don't respond. And then 
they finally, that Tim uh, sends me another email that says, hey, we, I finally got a letter from this company. And so they bought it December 16th, send no communication. And then on March 8th, all these seasonal residents get an, an email with a letter saying that their rates are going to go from 3200 a season to 5500 a season for their seasonal rate. And they either have to send that deposit by the end of the month so within three weeks, or they have to be out of the campground by the end of the month. So three weeks, not a ton of notice, right? Especially for people who are spending the winter in Florida. And generally people who live in these RV parks do not have, you know, you do RV camping because, or you do it RV seasonal. It's, it's your second home. Right. This is your seasonal home. Right. Other people buy condos. They might buy a house. These are people who buy this because it's, it is the cheapest way and the only affordable way, really, to have a second home in Door County. Some of these people have been there 17 years. There's some one resident who's been at this campground for 46 years. So longer than the last owner and the owner before that. And then you get this message. So picture your parents if they were retired and they had a seasonal campground. And they're just planning their summer in Door County. A lot of these people have second part-time jobs up here. There, I talked to a couple of retirees who work at restaurants and, and hotels in Egg Harbor to earn a little extra money. Um, and so picture if it were your parents, March 8th being told you either have to come up with almost twice as much money as you did last year, which wasn't budgeted for, or you have to be out of here in three weeks and your seasonal home, your second home in Door County is gone. Right. So that means like how many plans have you made by March 8th? If you're a seasonal resident, um, things you were going to do with family, places you were going to go, uh, dinner parties, birthday parties, all these things might already be planned all wiped out unless you want to pay almost twice as much if you have that twice as much to pay. Right. And if you decide you don't want to and you're going to get your stuff out, let's say you're in Florida, wherever you might be, sometime in the next three weeks, you got to fly back to Wisconsin and get a vehicle and come up here and bust your camper out of this campsite. Yeah, that's bare minimum. And then find a place to put it. Yeah, bare minimum, it's an RV that you can go and drive out. But if you have a camper there, you have to go get your camper, hit, like hitch it up to your vehicle, drive it out. If you have, like, if you've been there a long time and you have a deck and you have all this stuff, you have to bust all of that down. Yep. That becomes a, a huge deal. And it's something that like, if you're going to break all that down, you do it at the end of the previous season. Yeah. You don't keep it there over the winter and then break it down like a couple of weeks before you have to pay for the next one. And as we know, like on this particularly beautiful March day outside where it is snowing and sleeting. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to be <laughs> bringing a camper in the winter anywhere. No. So that's what these people are stuck with. And some of these people had put down deposits with the previous owner last fall, they put down their $500 deposit. Hey, this locks me in. We have an agreement. I come back next year. We're all good. Like you go into the winter, just thinking, yep, yeah, we're all set. I've done all my, all the things I'm supposed to do. And so this company, once they sent that letter, there were, uh, there was other contact information for advanced outdoor solutions. I tried every number, every email, everything I could do to get in touch with them before I wrote the story and no reply, no response, not even a cursory, no comment. And then the story came out and then they invited me to a webinar that they did with the, with the seasonal residents to answer some of their questions. Cause the only reason they did the webinar is because one of these residents happens to spend their winter in Florida down the road from the offices of advanced outdoor solutions. 
So this husband and wife went down there, knocked on the door, and actually confronted the CEO there. So they said, oh, they, sorry for the miscommunication. This is all just, you should have gotten more information. Let's do a webinar. So they do the webinar. And that sounds like it went really smoothly. Basically, the webinar was, we'll give you to, till April 20th, but yeah, that's the rate. That's what we're paying. And the, this person refused to name the owner, although you can find it's listed. It's on the website. So um, it's weird that she wouldn't name who the client was. But, and she kept saying, why would you, why does it matter who the owner is? Now, keep in mind, these are people who actually usually at a campground, you know the family that runs the campground. They are right. part of your family to some degree. And yep. talking to other campground owners around the county. And they're the people in the camp store. They're yes. the people who you call on their phone when you need something. They're like, they're not, they don't live away from there and they're just not there. They're there with you the whole time. So to the credit of Advanced Outdoor Solutions, they're not trying to lie and act like they care, really. Like, they're just being blunt. Like, why do you care who the owner is? This is how we do it. Yep, it's matter of fact, my owner paid a lot of money for this property, so the rates have to go up to pay for it. So, But I, I don't believe that because well, you don't... I will say this. The owner did pay a lot of money for this. Sure. They, pay, they spent $6 million on this campground. Yeah, but you don't just, like, nearly double your rates from one season to the next unless you're trying to lose everybody, right? Unless you are trying, and this is a suspicion of most of the people there, and it is what has played out at different campgrounds around the country, is basically they feel they're trying to raise the rates to get the seasonals out of there and without, like, just booting them and basically making them choose to leave. That way they can do more weekly rentals, which are more lucrative, raise the rates, and do what what's called glamping, which is just kind of like upscale camping. Um, some people do that in yurts, some do it in nice tents. Uh, It's a kind of a glorified hotel room without having to say you're a hotel and provide the services people expect of a hotel. Uh, And and in some cases, glamping can be nicer than a hotel, depending on how it's done. Um, There is actually a press release put out by the company that bought this campground. So even though Kathleen Walsh, the CEO of Advanced Outdoor Solutions, is on this webinar saying, I don't know anything about glamping at this campground. I don't know any plans about glamping. Why is people? Why are people asking about that? Why are you bringing that up? I don't know why keep people keep bringing that question to me. There's nothing about glamping. Glamping means glamorous camping, by the way, in case anybody's like, why is he saying it like that? Now, meanwhile, she says all this. There is a press release from the company that bought the campground on the web that announces and proudly announces that they have contracted with a company out of Oklahoma to build glamping rooms out of old shipping containers, some of them earmarked for the campground that they bought in Egg Harbor, Wisconsin. So maybe she just assumes that these retirees do not know how to use the internet and can't figure this stuff out, but it's, it's all right there. So yet she's on this webinar telling them that she knows nothing about glamping at this campground. So that's where that sat. That we- the webinar... You know, like I said, she wasn't hiding it <laughs> in, in, in some respects, but in other respects was not being totally truthful about their plans. Yeah. It, and the difference between seasonal camping and weekend camping from a business perspective is short game and long game, right? You, you get seasonal people, they pay less, so you make less money off of them, but you're guaranteed their business for the whole year. Right. And, you know, sometimes multiple years. 
you have a, a seasonal camper that you keep happy, then they stay there for 17 years, for 40 years. And you just bank on them, return right. business. So you have that money and you can rely on it. Uh, whereas if you know that you're going to sell out every single site every single weekend, then it makes more sense financially to do all, you know, to do no seasonal at all. But most campgrounds don't have that kind of, they can't bank on that. So they have some seasonal plots and some weekend plots. That's how they do everything. If this company thinks that they're going to fill every single site, every single weekend, which they may or may not, I don't know how popular camping is up here. I would assume very. Well, I will say this. There are no, uh, the people from this campground, the really sad thing for these people is there are no campsites available. There are no seasonal sites anywhere in the county. I called multiple other campgrounds to confirm this. They all said, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty rare to find a, a place that's open. And most of these other mom and pop campgrounds really felt bad for these for these seasonal residents because like they they live with their you know like i said they they live on their campground these are part of their family and i I talked to tim guckenberg from wagon trail campground and he said yes it sounds cheesy it sounds cliche but yeah you see these people every single day so they are part of your family for those six months and year after year after year so there's not another option up here for them for the most part the camping industry in door county has even before the COVID-19 pandemic sent everybody to the outdoors. Camping was doing really well in Door County. They had a proposal for an RV park down at Old Stone Quarry in Sevastopol. That was kind of building on this campground popularity. There was a proposal to build a campground south of Jacksonport that was fought and turned down. Fish Creek Campground, which was closed for a couple of years, had been bought and reopened in the last 10 years. Almost every campground... Beantown has probably been around in Bailey's Harbor for 10 or 15 years. So we've added a lot of sites and a lot of the existing campgrounds have added sites and they are all filling and filling more of the season. It used to be a June through August was your peak. Last year, campground owners told me early May, full nights, um, Memorial Day packed, which normally, I guess, I was surprised to learn this, but normally wouldn't be that packed at these campgrounds, fully packed. Um, So a lot of growth in the industry. Dovetail Campground in Liberty Grove opened last year, and, you know, it's just a kind of a big parking lot, but they're filling sites up there. So it's the, the industry is doing very well as a whole. I went through and added up everything I could find in the county, and I believe there are at least 3,700 campsites in the entire county, which is almost as many hotel rooms. So you think of, that's, the, it's, it's this kind of like, underside of yeah. Door County tourism that we don't talk about. It's not accounted for in room tax. Right. You, don't play, you don't pay room tax on um, campsites. But that's that's a whole other chunk of people that are here at any given moment beyond everybody else who's renting a house, right. renting an STR, renting a hotel room. Yeah, I, I did not think that it was nearly that big. Neither but, did I. <laughs> it's but that's stunning. the thing, though, right? So if, if, you, you know, if you have an investment firm coming in, buying a campground, and thinking that they can fill every single weekend with non-seasonals, makes sense for them financially to sure. do it. But it, uh, in a small community like this, it's not a popular move no. at all. And ultimately, they bought it. They bought a business. A, a young couple bought the Viking Grill in Sister Bay or in Ellison Bay. And people going to be sad to see the Viking not there, but they bought a business and that changes. They, that happens all the time. I used to love diggers. Wild Tomato bought it. It changed it. You know, that's, that's fine. That's the same thing that's happening here. Somebody bought this campground and wants to do something else with it. The thing that morally is just messed up is their total lack of communication. They more than likely knew 
where they were going with this campground the day they bought it. And you have a 160 sites there, 60 seasonal renters. And there was not one phone call, no response to an email for anybody for three months. And then you tell them your second home is probably gone or it's doubled in price. Right. You would just think- a, ethically, it's just an awful way to do business. Yeah. And you would think that if people have something locked in at one price, at the very least, you should be like, okay, we're going to honor that price for this year. Rates are going up at the end of next season. So if you don't want to stay anymore or you can't stay, then, you know, remove your seasonal at the end of this season, not remove it at the end of this month. Yes. That would seem like the very reasonable way to go about it. <laughs> um, Incidentally, I I had heard rumors of people kind of circling investment groups, circling Door County and inquiring about campgrounds for probably since I moved back in 2017 was the first time I heard that. And I I had never really looked at the business model, but it is a smart model. You've got a six month season and yes, there's work to do in the off season, but obviously you don't have to manage all those people. People have their own homes. You're not responsible for cleaning their camper. So it's not as labor intensive as say a hotel or something larger like that, where you'd actually have to have a lot of staff full time. And you're not doing, you're not building infrastructure other than like your camp store and your pool, if you have one or some recreational facilities, but you do have to have a wagon clean up all of the, (laughs) Yes, that's the one part that is not as glamorous, but it's not, you you don't need to build, you know, to build, to, to sell 47 hotel rooms at the hotel door, they have to build a 47 room hotel for millions and millions of dollars. You don't have to do that with a campground. So you have this other, there's, there's lots of reasons that make it an attractive investment. And most of these people, what I was told by the, some of these investors is, yeah, it's a, it's an asset class with room for growth. So let's put our money in, get them cheap. We can raise the rates. We can raise the services a little bit, or maybe not, and just raise the rates and people will pay it. We get a good return. We flip it and sell it down the road. And if nothing else, if camping crashes, we own property in prime vacation destinations. People want to buy that to do something else with it. That made sense. And this was the first time I heard that of, of one of these campgrounds selling for this kind of money. Right. Well, uh, not that there's, you know, an ongoing story here. It seems pretty much this is what's going to happen, but I'm sure if anything changes, we'll, you know, follow it at that point. But is there any, any last thoughts on this moving forward? It'll be interesting. I don't know if any of these or, or the legal standing of those, what, what campground seasonal renters sign predominantly across the industry. It's common to be, it's called an agreement, not a contract. And I'm no legal expert, but I, what I was told is that that's kind of a, a wishy-washy thing that isn't quite as binding, even though it's signed. So apparently the previous owners of this, for a lot of these campers, the previous owners didn't sign that contract, but the camper did. And then those previous owners sold the campground so there's a question of whether or not that agreement stands, even though these people gave a deposit. So some of these people are trying to get their deposits back right. and they're told, well, you can't get it back until you either get your get your camper off the property. I don't know if there would be a legal case for them if they tried to lock in that, hey, I have this agreement for paying $3,200. I want to stay there for $3,200 this summer. Yeah. Or at the very least, like, give me my deposit back because I need that money to get the camper off the property anyway. <laughs> yes, like, right. I need, I need I to need, get there. And I need to get a plane. To, yeah, I need to break everything down. Wow. So we'll be checking in. I, you know, it's one of those stories where you hear from, once I talked to one seasonal resident, I got calls from a dozen. 
a lot of them just seeking help. Like, how do I find a site? I need a place. I was, all their plans are to be in, in Door County. And some of these people don't even have necessarily a home, like a permanent home. They do a season down south and they do a season up north. So they lose that seasonal here. Now they got to find a place to go. There's nothing in Door County. Who knows where they're spending their summer. And unfortunately, that's affordable housing we lost for some of these employees because some of these people worked, if not full-time, at least part-time filling shifts. Right. So, I mean, how many how many seasonal people were there at the campground? 60 at this one. Okay. So 60 people, that's maybe 100 people altogether. If yeah, 60 got, campers generally probably, most of them couples, let's say 120 is a good ballpark. Yeah. So, you know, even if, even if 50 of them worked here during the season, yeah. it's 50 employees that we already need. Yeah. That we don't have <laughs> if they have to leave. Yeah. So trickling ramifications as there are with every, seemingly everything that happens affects <laughs> everything else. Yes. And I guess that that's just one of the, you know, parts of living in a smaller community. Butterfly effect. Right. Well, Miles, I think that that is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.